This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budget, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow, all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. It's the Global Thought Leader Insights. Brilliant thinking implemented. Brought to you by Internal Consulting Group. I'm Mark S.A. Smith. As a leader of your company, you must stay on top of your industry or risk obsolescence. This can be a daunting task. Get ready to solve your biggest challenges and learn how to capitalize on your biggest opportunities after this. Executives depend on external advisors to fill knowledge and experience gaps, to help them make a case for change, or to have an experienced mind audit their thinking. Internal Consulting Group brings together a wide range of proven thought leaders from around the globe and makes them available to you. Get access to insights, advice, and the tools you need to succeed. Learn more at internalconsulting.com. Our guest today, Magnus Penker, is an internationally renowned internal consulting group thought leader on innovation, artificial intelligence, and business transformation. With 20 years of experience as a management consultant and business leader, Mr. Penker inspires leaders to find a new way of thinking and organizing to stay on top. He developed InnoSurvey, a leading methodology and global innovation database used to analyze and provide advice to companies, business leaders, and scientists worldwide. Today, Mr. Penker is the CEO and founder of the Innovation 360 Group, headquartered in Stockholm and New York. He has been honored with the Business Worldwide Magazine Award as the most innovative CEO in Sweden 2016 and Growth Strategy CEO of the Year Sweden 2016. Additionally, he has launched 10 startups as well as acquired, turned around, and sold more than 30 businesses. Mr. Penker is contributing as an editor at the International Journal of Innovation Science and currently writing a five-volume series on business innovation titled The Complete Guide to Business Innovation. I caught up with him in a taxi heading to the airport in Stockholm to fly on to his next client. You've developed a powerful tool, the Wheel of Innovation, to help executives determine areas that can blindside them and how to avoid them. So tell us about this tool. Basically, a few years ago, after launched a number of companies, 
and uh, helped a number of companies, invested in a number of companies. I, I kind of got really curious on how come that some company really take off and other doesn't. And among this, it's just a number of companies that really deserve to take off, but they don't. So I decided to go through the last 100 years of current thinking. I did, with some help from, from a number of professors around, in, 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 uh, around the globe. And I used the current, current knowledge to um, come up with uh, a framework, a framework to assess capability of innovation. And that is uh, expressed in the wheel of innovation. Uh, and then I started to collect data. And eventually we started up Innovation 360 Group, and we collected data from many thousand companies in 62 countries. And we used these insights, these data insights, and we combined that with science so we can co- compare and contrast capabilities from organizations all over the world to understand how come that some is actually taking off and some is not taking off. And more precisely, how come that some of them actually stay around? That's actually more relevant. You might actually take off and have you know a few good years, but you don't not be around for many decades. So we, we saw that very clear when we connected the data, that what is about is to have the right capabilities to deliver on the right aspiration. So we talk about aspiration and actually ability, where aspiration is, what, what, what do I want to do? Uh, what would I like to achieve? And do we agree on what we would like to achieve? And do we have the ability for that? And the ability uh, is about culture, leadership, capabilities, competences. So basically, what we do is we do correlation analysis between ability and aspiration. Do I have, have what it takes? And do I really want to, to take my company organization ahead? Um, and the tool is helping to X-ray, basically, any organization in the world to understand their collected the common ability and aspiration. And what we found is that in many companies and organizations, you don't have the same aspiration. And that's quite interesting. And you don't have the same ability. So my 10 cents is like this. Many companies would like to go for, you know, the disruptive radical stuff. And then they force people that are pretty incremental to do that. And that will simply not work. Uh, and, and the other way around, it could be that you have maybe a very innovative company doing radical stuff, but you lose money every month because you're not really good at managing what I call the first horizon, which is much more incremental. Uh, so the, the trick is to actually be able to deliver both short and long term, both in certainty and in uh, or under uncertain conditions. Uh, and this is quite tricky because then, then you need to understand the organization fully. And uh, let's say that they have a couple of thousand employees, maybe even 10, 20,000 employees. No one actually knows how, how ready they are and how, how they are led. You might think so, but when you do a full 360, you realize, no, we don't know. So starting by understanding the ability and aspiration, using that in a clever way, mapping that to what I call the first, second, or third horizon. So make sure that you have the business today running in first horizon, that you have an understanding of the future in the third horizon, and that you do market tests and learn in the second horizon. That creates a balanced, risk-mitigated portfolio, and you will stick around for, for decades. And, and, this, yeah, and this is really backed by data, and I, I, that's exciting to see uh, when you have these numbers that 
it is actually possible to assess this. Yes, indeed. What you're talking about is the classic approach to a hedge fund where we have short-term, intermediate, and long-term investments that tend to counterbalance each other, and one's, one's down and the other one's up. And so in your horizon strategy, how long of a time frame do you see the first horizon, the second horizon, and third horizon? That's, that's a really good question. Um, I would say that most of the time, the first horizon is six months, maybe 12 months. And that is what I like to consider as the machine, the factory. And if you don't do anything, you will be less competitive in six or 12 months. So you need to work with improvements all the time. Uh, third horizon, typically that is between 18 months and five years time frame, depending on. So let's say today AI is pretty much age-free because we really don't know how to use it yet. Uh, we start using it in tests in age two. We, we try to roll out. And typically age two will hit the market maybe in two years, maybe in 18 months, maybe 12 months. And, and it is, as, as you say, also like a head fund strategy. Most of the things you do in age three will actually not be used in age two, but you will gain a lot of learnings. So maybe you spend like one or two or three or five percent of your budget on that. Age two, however, that it might be like one out of 10, two out of 10 will hit the market. And there you might spend like 20% of your resources. And, and when you actually bring it down to the first rise, you know it will take off. It will be possible to commercialize and to um, get it out on the market on a global scale. So the important thing is to work in, in short cycles in Horizon 1 to make sure you stay on top. And H3, three to five years, make sure you get the learnings. H2, somewhere between 12, 18, 24 months, do tests and, and the pilots make sure that you know what to do in the first Horizon when it comes to, to launch it out on the market. I think it's really fascinating, uh, Magnus, that you're talking about building in expected failure in innovation. You're saying that 10 to 20% of what a company is going to be innovating will actually make them money. Yes. And uh, the, here's the trick. Fail, but fail fast and learn. And uh, re recently, actually, uh, the CEO of Adobe went out public and said that we have too low failure rates. And I kind of like that. You should have a certain failure rate. Absolutely true. If you're not failing, it means you're, you're not pushing the envelope. And I think that's a really interesting thing for Adobe to say, because uh, they've had a lot of failures. In fact, of the software in companies out there, I think they probably fail more often than anybody else. Indeed. And uh, let's just take a very uh, current example, self-driving cars. If you don't do a lot of experiments and failure, we will never be able to go there. And just think about how failure are perceived by the society. Everybody's just waiting for you know, the moment to kill self-driving cars. Uh, it will not happen. It, it, will, it will hit the market, but it will maybe be delayed due to circumstances. But it is ridiculous. Actually, we should, we should accept a lot of failures, and maybe we should do it you know, without anyone getting hurt. No, unfortunately, when we human beings are involved, we will always have fatal failures. It's inevitable. And we lose a lot of people every day to hacked cars. They, they get hacked with alcohol. 
and we, <laughs> and we lose a lot of people to to paying attention to their their mobile device instead of what they're doing and so failures happen all the time and i think the challenge is as you've pointed out in a society right now uh, because of, of things such as the mass media we attack failures and point blame and we fire people versus saying oh what did we learn oh you know it's i'm it, we, we don't want to kill people by by we but it's going to happen we got to learn from it yes exactly and that's just a really important point when it comes to innovation and innovation management is to accept failure uh, and, and aim for the greater good that I do understand that there is a number of great grand challenges to be fixed. Uh, like, clear, like, for instance, pure water, education, health, poverty, food. We need to fix these things. And the only way to do it is to experiment and learn. And then we can actually be able to, to have a sustainable society and the planet will actually, you know, be able to serve maybe 10, maybe 20 billion people. But if we don't try to fix this, then we have a problem. And then we have to accept failure. We need to learn from the failure to save, to save the planet and the society. That's absolutely crucial. Well, and you and I were, went through the 70s where we expected to run out of oil about now. And we have more oil underground than we have ever found in the past. Technology solves a lot of problems over time. And what we have to do is figure out how to adapt this technology and innovate that technology without taking out people or taking out the company. And you've developed some tools to help executives do this better than ever. Yeah, that's, that's, that's correct. What I found was very important is to develop tools for you know, understanding what is driving innovation, how you can use it to risk mitigate over time. Linking that to data is essential. Linking that to metrics is essential because we're programmed from school and all the way through business schools to rely on facts. Um, and what I found is that uh, when you actually put figures, numbers on innovation, you get a much higher acceptance on sea level and, and in, in, in boardrooms. So making innovation tangible by the numbers is essential because we always fight between faith, you know, believe and fact. And if we can link these two things, it's very powerful. And that's also why the tool we developed actually have, has, you know, been received as it has. We are now president for eight countries. We get the calls from all over the world due to that. Can you give us an example of how a company has used this tool to create some innovation? I don't want you to disclose any secrets, but if you've got some example of, of how you have used this tool with a client, I think that'd be powerful. Yes, absolutely. One of our clients, a $3 billion company operating in 30 countries, uh, reached out to me three years, three and a half years ago. It was a trading company, and they went into a situation where they realized that they have diminishing margins, competition from uh, companies like Alibaba, and these guys were into B2B actually, but Alibaba moved into B2B a long time ago. So they, they realized, we need to do something. So they reached out to me and asked me you know, for help with the strategy. Uh, so I said, well, let's have a look on it and see what we can do. Uh, we, we realized that, that we need to assess their capability for innovation because they had a lot of ideas. Actually, they had a lot of good insights and strategy as well, but they couldn't deliver on it. They were not able to execute on it. So when we did an assessment uh, on the divisions around the world, we realized that they aren't really ready for, you know, to challenge themselves, to figure out how to find a way to elaborate on the capability they have. 
Uh, and the, the, here's the thing. The capability they had is that they were really, really good at reaching out on emerging markets. They could literally take any kind of product and get it out on an emerging market because they had such a strong relationship on emerging markets. The other thing is that they had market insights and expertise in many markets, like in pharmaceutical. Uh, so what we did was that we, we revised the strategy and said, hey, let's, let's not be trading out. Let's be a global meeting place for entrepreneurs. And let's put up, let's put up a digital platform instead where entrepreneurs can meet uh, markets all over the world instead and help these entrepreneurs to actually uh, accelerate the products out on the market. And, and let's digitalize the whole company instead. And this is, you know, from a logical point of view uh, and from a point of view, brilliant. However, they were not ready for it. So by assessing them and understanding how they actually operate in the, in the different sites, we were able to iron out a task force that could actually start working with this project and step-by-step step moving them in the right direction. So eventually they went from 0% in EBT to 4% in two years, and that's quite much money for a $3 billion company. And that was because we did understand how to organize them to deliver on a strategy. Good, interesting, clever strategy, but they failed because they couldn't execute on it. And now, with insights how they organize and how they actually could find what I call radical pockets. You know, some places in the organization where we have people with the right capability and ambitions to actually try out new things and be brave to actually change your business model from traditional trading to be a global meeting place for entrepreneurs, totally digitalized. And they are still under this transition and it goes really good. But the thing was that find these people, organize them, have faith, experiment, learn, step by step, building it up, and they can shift from being very traditional to do business in a new way, increasing the audience. And, and that will give them another 10 or 20 years. Such one example. Magnus, what you're asking executives to do is extremely frightening. You're asking for them to be brave when the stock markets kill brave executives. <laughs> they have a lot of arrows in, yep. their, in their back. You're asking for them to expect for... 80 to 90% of their projects to fail when in most corporations and environments that would kill a person's career. You are asking for radical changes in culture across the board in corporations to be able to innovate and succeed. How can executives face this and be brave and not kill themselves corporately. That is exactly what's going on, and that is exactly what also is killing company in 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 not in long term, even in mid term. Yes. Uh, but in short term, in short term, this is a, is a real challenge. So what I always do is to make sure that we start working in the first horizon, to make sure that they actually are super optimized in the first horizon, creating you know what you need for doing the failure in age two and age three. So this is about risk mitigation. And I haven't seen one company so far that could not be more efficient in age one. And, and you can always find what I call like zombie projects, or if you don't have zombie projects, you have zombie discussions. There's always some zombies that you can kill in a company and actually be more efficient, efficient in the first horizon. So my medicine is, Okay, let's carve out a few percentage from the first horizon and use that in the second and third, because then you risk the gates. Otherwise, I need to ask them to put a lot of things on risk, 
but the, the, the thing is to find, you know, some uh, space in the first horizon by doing some, you know, really clever improvements and not divide that, and not divide that, yeah, not divide it to the shareholders. They should not have that. <laughs> That's important. <laughs> oh, yes. You've got to get the shareholders out of the mix there. I really love this idea of killing some zombies to make some room for some failures. Yes. So give me an example of some zombie projects or zombie meetings that you've seen in the past that need to go. I've seen very, very many of them. And uh, I work a lot in the in media industry that has been quite disrupted. And, and in the media industry, you typically have like the zombie discussion about independence of journalists. And that literally kills the media industry. I'm not saying that this would be independent. What I'm saying is that that paradigm has created a lot of problems as people is producing content anyway. So instead of, of accepting that people will produce content, uh, maybe if they're not a journalist, to accept that gives you the possibility to understand how to use your skill of being a journalist. So I've seen this, a lot of this uh, in, in the media industry when it comes to discussion about journalism, uh, but also you know, business models, pricing, how, how much should we you know, charge for a subscription, what kind of journalists should we have, should we allow people you know, to contribute with content, should we give away magazines to get that something else. It's a lot of discussions going on there, and, and, and most of it is quite desperate. Instead of really understanding why do anyone consume content at all and start in that time. So I've seen that you implement a lot of systems, that you impl implement a lot of pricing strategies in the media industry instead of ask yourself a very simple question. Why the heck is anyone reading my content and what do they want from it? That's just one example. Uh, I have uh, one more example on, on some of the products. A few years ago, I worked with a big uh, retailer and they implemented an e-business system quite early and invested quite much money in it. However, the system did became quite unuseful because it was not, it was not technology-wise supporting new demands uh, linked to like social media, linked to uh, analytics. And they, you know, they continue to pump in money in this gigantic e-commerce project instead of just realizing that we can replace this with WordPress and a few plugins for 1% of the cost and just take the same cost and start focusing on how to actually reinvent their business model. So they, they started up with adding e-commerce to their retail as most have done in the past. And then they realized we need to you know, have an omni-strategy sorry, omni-channel strategy where we link retail and e-commerce. And that was where the system failed. And, and uh, they spent quite much money on this system. And, and what they should have done instead was just to kill it and replace it with the, you know, some, some uh, more or less off-the-shelf solutions like WordPress and, and a few plugins and start to work from there. And this is quite common that you invest a lot of money in very expensive IT products. Uh, and instead of just killing it, you try to fix it and it will be more expensive, you will be slower. And then you have like lean startups that you know, can bring anything to the market in the speed of light because they, they use you know, uh, common components on the market and just uh, assemble it and put it together and, and can be really fast. 
And this is, this is a typical example where you in the first horizon actually can make some substantial impact by changing things and, and you know, removing things and disassemble things and, and figure out how can we be much more efficient. It would always be discussion about the balance sheet. Okay, do we have to depreciate this? Do I have, I mean, what is the write-off cost here? Yeah, you have to take it. Uh, but, you, I mean, you already paid for it. So, so it's just about, you know, numbers and bookkeeping. Uh, so, yes, you have to write it off the balance sheet. But on the other hand, you will be much faster and create some substantial improvements in the first horizon. And then you can figure out how to run a retail in the second and third horizon. Because today, on this account, still for many retailers, they are stuck in the first horizon. They try to fix a broken business model instead of realizing maybe we need to do some, you know, uh, things in the first horizon and, and sacrifice a few old truths instead of try to fix things that is not working. Uh, so that is kind of radical. On the other hand, it is possible to control. You can calculate on it. You can do an ROI on it. So it is, it is not unsecure, but radical. And I have seen that many times in the first horizon. It is possible to do things that is quite radical, but still controlled. And then you create some space for the second and third horizon. We'll be back with more after this. The world is moving fast. It's difficult to keep up. Your executive team needs new ideas to keep them ahead of the competition. Download and share the Internal Consulting Group's monthly executive magazine, The Insights Review. Every issue includes thought leadership and ideas that you can leverage to solve issues and harvest opportunities facing you. Get your complimentary copy from internalconsulting.com publications. What you're asking executives to do here, once again, is to be brave about sunk costs. And that's something that a lot of companies tend to forget about, is just because you paid for it doesn't mean it's worth anything. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> and the thing to keep in mind is that 50% of the Fortune 500 turn over every decade, and there's a lot of people that are predicting that's going to be up to 80% of the Fortune 500 turning over because of digital disruption, because of using old business models to implement new technologies. And what you're talking about is how executives can survive this massive disruption, and that is you've got to change the business rules, and you've got to look at the world a completely different way. What you learned in an MBA a decade ago will kill you today. And so your tool helps people figure out how to preserve their future. That's quite correct. And everything is about the capability of continuously challenge and learning and risk mitigating over the horizons because competence gets old. Capability doesn't get old. And that's, that's the whole point here. You need to learn to learn. Yeah. Let's call that out. I think I want to make sure that our listener really gets that. There's a difference between competence and capability. So yes, it is a, it's a huge difference between capability and competence. Competence is what you get from, from, you know, for going to a course or a training program or, or, or partly in school or an MBA, uh, and that gets old pretty quick. Uh, and what you learn in the, in the MBA program can very well kill you t- 10 years later. So the thing is that you should focus on, on how to learn and how to act and, and uh, be proactive 
And that is capability. And capability is on the group level. It could be on individual level, but normally it is a group level or on company level where you actually together form the ability on, on reacting and, and, and proactively take measure to learn, to develop, to understand, to gain insights. While competence is, is um, here and now a specific skill that you learned and, and that will get old, that knowledge. So I'm not saying that you should be incompetent. What I'm saying is that you should be competent, but have the, the capability of staying competent and staying on top, uh, not just today, but also 10 and 20 years from, from today. Uh, and our tool is focusing specifically on capability. And when we went through the last 100 year current thinking, we carved out 66 capability to innovation that we actually assess. So we make sure that, that, uh, that we do understand how is your organization organized and how does these 66 capabilities, uh, how, how, what is the level of them and how do you actually use them to make sure you stay on top all the time? Absolutely critical to long-term success is the ability to unlearn and then relearn about the ongoing technologies that are facing us today. That's a big ask of a lot of executives who have seemed to stop learning. And if they can't lead their team into more learning, they will be replaced. No doubt about that. So what are some of your suggestions for helping executives stay ahead of the curve? You need to have faith. You need to believe. And the only way to motivate yourself going to to the work every day and be brave is to think about the legacy. What would you like to achieve for yourself, your family, your employees, your shareholder, the market, the planet? What is the legacy? What do you want to achieve in life? That's the only thing that keeps this spirit alive because it's a hard work. It's really hard work and you need to stay focused. And then I think that, that uh, you need to have like a higher course. You need to think that you can do some real change that is sustainable. I think that's the key. That's right. I, I, I absolutely in alignment with you. Legacy is the people we leave behind, not the things, the people. What do you use as your crystal ball to predict the future? <laughs> uh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, actually, actually I, I have a few tricks, a few aces. Uh, it might not be what, what people you know expect, but I do a few things. Um, one of them is that I'm... I'm very interested in, in history. I read a lot. The past can help us to predict the future. And, and we, we are under disruption, and we have been in, under disruption, you know, earlier in mankind. That is one thing I do. The other thing is I, I'm, I'm addicted to Google Trends so, to understand what actually people are thinking about as we speak. I think that's a great idea. Google Trends gives us a lot of insights. What other things do you use to feed your crystal ball? So I read a lot of history. So understand how we reacted on, on disruption in the past because we have been through a, a, a number of, of paradigms in the past. The industrialization, for instance. And um, way, way back, it has been like, you know, uh, dynamite. <laughs> it has been uh, the wheel. <laughs> By understanding how people react on that and use Google Trends, that, that's the two key sources I have. I like to understand how people react. And I want to know what they're thinking about right now. I do not read uh, papers to get uh, an idea. I read papers just to, you know, make a decent conversation. Not about getting, you know, uh, to feed my crystal ball. I still don't believe in that. I believe in understanding what people are thinking about and how they reacted in the past. 
that's the desire of everyone. And uh, that's a really beautiful thing, and that does give us faith. It's a beautiful thing, Magnus. This has been a fantastic conversation. How can executives get a hold of you, engage with you? What would you like for them to do? We are happy to uh, uh, help any kind of brave CEO out. Uh, We operate in 28 countries through our own consultancy practice and through the network of licensed practitioners. And by having a huge network of licensed practitioners that use our methods and tools, we can engage in, in products in any corner of the world, which is um, what we like to do. So you can get hold of us. Just go to our website, innovation360.com, and uh, we will be happy to, to help and, and, and engage and bring uh, uh, people from our network uh, in, into work in any corner of the world. That's what we do. That's what we like to do. And there is also a possibility for those corporations to um, engage by actually getting their teams, their best business development teams, accredited. So very early on our journey, we, we made a brave decision ourselves not to be protective, uh, uh, actually to accredite other consultancy firms around the globe with our method and tools. By doing that, we create an enormous movement with people all over the world, working with our data, our tools, uh, our methodology to create some substantial results. And, and doing that, helping us to serve you know, CEOs all over the world, in every corner of the world, and doing this in a massive scale. So there are two possibilities to work with us. Either as a client or as getting accredited and accredited your internal consultants. Or if you have already consultancy from your work, you can ask them to get accredited. So we think of, uh, about ourselves as the, as the home of innovation. And we create a massive scale innovation movement at the moment and invite everyone to join that. Well, innovation is not for sissies. You've given people a roadmap, and those executives that are willing to step up and be brave need to find out how to connect and get going with you and your team. Thank you, Magnus, for sharing your insights and your brilliance with our listener. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. And remember, be brave. That wraps up this episode. Go to internalconsulting.com slash global hyphen thought hyphen leaders to contact today's guest. If you like the show, share it with your executive team and review us on iTunes. This is Global Thought Leader Insights. Brilliant thinking implemented. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.